if you focus on your opportunities, you can absolutely get better. And we still need to do that. But if you can lean into your strengths to focus on your opportunities, or if you can work on getting making your strengths even better, then you can really be exceptional. And I've had the chance to put this into practice, both with groups and individuals now. And I really do think it's game changing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to write your own success story. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and we are joined by a very special guest today, Sarah Savella. Hi, Sarah. Hello. So I warned Sarah that I can get a little sentimental on these intros, and this one is no different because I've known Sarah for 15 years. Yeah, at least. Right? And Mm -hmm. we're both realizing that we're slowly aging out of being considered young because I keep trying to make these references that Gen Z just don't get of me. Hence my nasally being sick and sounding like Fran Drescher and the nanny. But neither here nor there. Sarah is the reason I became an executive coach because I was sitting there doing my little thing in finance thinking that I was trapped, for lack of a better word. And I distinctly remember having a conversation with Sarah sitting at my kitchen island when I realized she had become an executive coach and asking her all the practical things that I could never ask anyone else. And she turned to me, and I remember it vividly, and she's like, Jack, you just do it. And guess what? I did. And I haven't looked back. So Sarah, thank you. I credit that all to you. Listen, anytime I could take credit for someone else's success is great. But in this case, I absolutely cannot, which I'm sure your listeners will attest to. That's very kind. It strikes me that sometimes we just need a little push to jump off the ledge, especially Mm. when you're jumping into something that's so unknown. Mm. And you were the much needed push that I needed. I'm so glad. Sometimes we need that. And it's so funny because I, every time we have a conversation, I learned something from you and oh, come I'm like, on. it's so true. You're so creative. You, you have a podcast for, you know, crying out loud. I don't. Um, and you just think about things in such a, a fresh way. And I mean, maybe we'll talk about this later, but I love that you bring this little bit of a, a woo-woo kind of vibe to your coaching, but you're so grounded and all of, you know, what got you here and made you successful. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking, so on my honeymoon, we went to New Zealand and we were on this tour of Queenstown, which is like the adventure capital of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And the tour was like, okay, we're going to stop by this bungee jumping place. And my husband and I were like, there's no way we're bungee jumping. Mm -hmm. And then we were standing there watching all the people jumping. And there was a guy who was, I'm not even kidding, 85 years old who jumped for his 85th birthday because he always said if he made it to 85, he was going to jump. And my husband and I were sitting next to this older woman who was his wife cheering him on. And we both looked at each other. We were just like, oh, shit, we have to jump, don't we? Yeah, like Like, you literally (laughs) have no choice. If he could do it, you're doing it. Literally no choice. And I literally waddled because they wrap your feet together. I waddled up like down the plank like I was about – like to be cast by a pirate. And it literally took this guy almost physically pushing me off the ledge 
to get me to jump. And then once I did, it was so exhilarating. And I had never felt that elation before it, Mm. probably since it was either quitting my job or having a baby. (laughs) But this like going from this fear, fear, fear to this like pride and excitement and happiness. And I think it's such a metaphor for a big career shift and a big career change in so many ways. It is. It really is. I was, as you were telling the story and getting towards the end, I was thinking, wow, that sounds exactly like how you feel now that you're in this new career. Totally. I want to talk about you though, because you are such a skilled coach and you've been doing this for such a long time and you have helped so many people. So can you talk a little bit about what it is that you do and the types of people that you work with? Yes, I absolutely can. So I, when you said I've been doing this for such a long time, I was thinking to myself, how long have I been coaching and what is, what does coaching actually mean? And I started my career post Emory where we went together, which is when we first met and talk about dating ourselves. I, I'm pretty sure that I was, you were considered my senior daughter. So you were my senior mom. I do remember that. So I'm (laughs) an an elder millennial on on the scale of, if we're we're going to, we're going to talk about, you know, stereotypes and generations. That's where, that's where I am. So I, right after college, I, I got my master's in industrial organizational psychology, which is just a a fancy way of saying I studied how people show up at work. And I would say my coaching career probably started to percolate then. So while I wasn't a certified executive coach, I I was dipping my toe in the water of getting to know people and what make them tick and and more than anything, really understanding organizations and their strategy. And the field has been around for a long time, but but it's it's become more popular over the past, you know, 20, 20 or so years when I started. But I officially have been coaching for about 10 years. And I so I've been working with leaders and managers and people who are trying to navigate how they show up at work and how they contribute. And my niche is specifically on first-time executives. So I work with people who are new to their very senior level roles and really trying to navigate what that looks and feels like. Said so well, because one of the things I struggle with is how to articulate coaching and Mm -hmm. the value it brings, because it can be something that's a little esoteric. So if you had to define what executive coaching is, Mm. how would you do that? That's a really good question. Um, you'll tell me your definition in a moment, but if I had to define it, I would say it's it's a the way that I describe it to people or how I can hopefully help them in a coaching capacity is doing some meaningful reflection. So some sort of insight, self awareness building, um, so that they then can achieve whatever goals they're hoping to accomplish. So, you know, it's, if you were looking at a textbook, it would be like helping someone unlock their own power and potential, which is kind of jargony, right? And it goes back to that word of esoteric, but it's really about helping someone understand more about themselves, 
what's getting in their way and potentially their blind spots and then helping them figure out how they actually action on that to be successful. And I happen to do that in in the scheme of helping an organization to succeed um, versus, you know, career coaching or, or helping people be successful on their own. Although I do dabble in that a little bit too. Yeah. I 100% agree with your definition. My definition changes probably in every conversation that I have because it is a little different every time, but it all gets down Mm -hmm. to the same core theme, Mm -hmm. which is helping people figure out what they want and how to make better decisions to get it. Yeah. And maybe this is a little controversial, but I don't want to help someone who's not interested in learning more about themselves and doing the work. So, you know, I've, I've had coaching clients where I feel like I'm working harder than, than they are. And that's probably because I have high achiever and I'm constantly trying to succeed and do that with others around me. But I really want to work with people who are willing to think differently and, and go there. Well, I think that kind of goes down to philosophy in general. I have a personal philosophy, forget about work, forget about coaching, that the whole purpose of life is to grow and evolve. And if you're stagnant, what's the point? I agree with you that the types of people I like to work with are the ones that want to grow. Mm -hmm. I always love the ones who don't know what's in their way. And they're almost like a tough nut to crack, if that makes sense. They want something so badly but there's some type of block and it's kind Mm. of like uncovering a puzzle and this is going to sound so trite, but peeling back the onion and trying to figure out what it is and then coming up with a plan. Like that is really fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think peeling back the onion is, is the best part because you end up learning so much about people and where they come from. And we have ideas about them that or in judgments that we make based on, either what they tell us or what we see or what they look like or what their experiences are. And really we have to get to the core of it. And that's the fun part about coaching. It's almost like you're a detective. It is. Oh, and I love true crime shows. That probably makes a lot of sense. I love a good thriller. You know, I'm watching this show right now on Hulu where it's called death and other details where you're trying to figure out Mm. what's going on. And I love stuff like that. I love trying to figure out the ending. Yeah, I think if I had a different job that was not executive coaching, I'd want to like go undercover in the CIA or something like that. All right, you're a lot tougher than I am, Sarah. I don't think I could ever do that. That's one of those like, yeah, in theory, that would be super cool. And then my anxiety would kick in and it would just not work out for anybody involved. You mentioned something interesting about judgments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all judge other people. And I think anyone who's saying otherwise is lying, right? Mm -hmm. We all judge ourselves. And I would apply the same caveat to that. I love the conversations where someone thinks someone is an adversary at work and they end up being their best and closest ally, Mm -hmm. right? How do you find that judgment presents itself with the people that you work with? It's really, it's such an interesting question. There's, there's so many places that, that we could go with this. I, I teach an, um, a class called creating an, creating an Inclusive Environment. So I, I do some leadership development teaching on the side. 
And one of the things that we talk about in that class is biases and judgments. And all of this is, is natural to us. Like we're wired to create these judgments and biases as we go. And some of it has to do with systems one and systems two thinking. And it's, you know, systems one thinking is we see something and we automatically make a judgment because that's just what our brain does. And we do this because it helps us, it's survival mode and it's fight or flight. And so again, we're kind of wired to do that, but what we really need to do is get into that systems two thinking which is about, okay, let me pause for a second and let me evaluate the judgments that I'm making and figure out how to change those. And if we don't, then we're just missing out on so much information and things that can make us better or things that can make each other or the world better. I'm pretty sure I did not just answer your question that you asked me though. No, that's really interesting because it kind of goes back to everything that you're saying about self-reflection. And being able to take stock of not only yourself and how you show up, but also that situational awareness of what's happening around you mm-hmm. so you can get the data to make the better decision so you can show up the way you need to show up to get what you want. I teach coaching as part of my coaching program through iCoach Global. So I went through the program in 2015 and now I'm, I'm on the faculty. And we spend so much time talking about similarities and differences in our clients and the people around us. So as part of as part of the program, participants get a real coaching client and they have to figure out how to make judgments in a in a short period of time. But the most important thing that we teach in coaching is how do you then create hypotheses so that you can test those judgments and see if they're actually true or not. And some of that means pausing and reflecting yourself as a coach versus just trying to help other people reflect. How do you do that? Oh, it's hard, Um, especially (laughs) because life is moving so quickly. And I mentioned that achiever. So for anyone who is familiar with Gallup's Clifton Strengths, achiever is my number two. And one of the blind spots of that strength is that, you know, you're you're constantly trying to move and get stuff done and be uh, productive. So I think in order to get in front of some of those judgments or at least be able to hypothesize, it really requires you to just take a step back and pause and think differently, change your environment, talk, get a thought partner that can help you think differently. I don't know why, but I'm stuck on this idea of judgment. It's almost a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, it can be incredibly limiting. Mm-hmm. And that can show up in a lot, clearly a lot of ways, not building an inclusive environment, not being an inclusive leader, not developing certain people's talents because you write them off way too yeah. quickly, whatever it is. It can also serve in some ways too, which yeah. I would almost say maybe is discernment or intuition. So I'm curious, as you talk to leaders in work environments, how can someone differentiate between a judgment and a gut feeling or a gut intuition? Some of it, I think, is such a good question. And I'm just thinking of, I'm thinking of my own experience. So there, there have been clients that I've taken on that like something told me that I maybe shouldn't have, whether they weren't fully invested in the process, there was a red flag, maybe something weird was going on with the organization. So 
I would have this intuition, as you mentioned, that like, maybe there's something going on here. And I think that's where judgments and making those judgments is helpful. Because in all of those cases, I was right. Like I took the client on and afterwards I was like, why did I do that? Or halfway through, I'm thinking to myself, I like really got myself into a pickle here and I need to figure out how to unwind or go forward in a different way. So I think that judgments happen so quickly, intuition or discernment takes just a little bit longer. So even if it's like five minutes longer, it's going back and saying, what about this doesn't feel right? And then let me try to figure out or pinpoint what it is. So it's deeper. There's more information behind it. I think there needs to be. That resonates for me. I would also say that sometimes it's a literal feeling where sometimes I'll feel my stomach flutter or my skin get hot or my heart start to race. And I'm like, something's not right about this. Yeah, it's a feeling. Something feels wrong. Yeah. Whereas judgment in the negative sense could be more a thought. Yes. I think when, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like I learn a lot about coaching from parenting. A hundred. Oh my God. I say this every day. I'm so happy you said that. And I learn a lot about parenting from, from coaching. Um, and this is not to say that I am like a great parent all the time. Like I'm definitely not using coaching tactics with my kids when I, I probably should be, um, when it's like seven twenty nine, and I'm like, just go the F to sleep, you know? <laughs> um, but as you were talking about intuition, I was thinking about something with my son. So my, my son is six, he's in kindergarten and he was in pre-K last year. And he, he had a situation where kid at school said some, some harsh things and it was like, borderline bullying. And this went on for a couple of months. And there was one time, not to be graphic, but he was like sitting on the toilet and he looked up at me and, you know, we'll just, we'll just call this kid Mike for, that's not his name, but he looked up at me and he goes, mommy, I realized that I think Mike just doesn't like me. And he was five years old at the time. And I was just thinking to myself, like, he's had so many inputs and so much information. He didn't make a snap judgment the first time something happened that, oh, this kid just doesn't like me. He wanted so badly to be friends with this kid and figure out the relationship. And literally three months later, while he was sitting on the toilet, he just had this this feeling based on information that this kid just didn't like him. And actually, I then went into coaching mode and I was like, okay, so let's talk about it. What happens if that is the case? Uh, But it's just interesting. And I I think about kids a lot and how, you know, they make judgments or suspend judgments and just see the world so differently. And sometimes I wonder if we could help our clients do that or if we could do it as coaches just a little bit more. Let's go down that path because I invoke parenting in almost every conversation I have about coaching because it's a really relatable metaphor because people understand kids and kids Mm -hmm. are very simple humans, not simple in that they don't have complex thought processes, but they're figuring out in the world that is fairly this or that fair. I mean, there are of course shades of gray, 
And I also think adults have a tendency to overcomplicate things that kids just don't have the capacity to overcomplicate. Mm-hmm. Right. So to mm-hmm. your point, does he like me? Does he not like me? Very simple. Right. And adults overcomplicate it because we're human and we overcomplicate it. So I'm curious when you think of kids and parenting and what we as adults who overcomplicate things mm-hmm. can learn from them, what comes to mind? Yeah. I think there's there's two things. The first one is I think I read somewhere that humans are their most curious selves around seven years old. I can't remember oh. where I read it, but I think that we as adults and people who work and interact with other people, we need to get just be more curious because these judgments that have shaped our lives and these experiences cause us to come to to make judgments quickly. So how can we be more curious? And I look at my kids and they're so curious about things and they make these observations that are so simple. And sometimes I wish that I could make simple observations about things or get more curious or ask questions like, how do babies get out of your belly? And then I need to have a, you know, a very interesting. That's a tough one to navigate. That That is like navigating a challenge, right? So how do you invoke the leadership <laughs> principles there? <laughs> well, Lucas, how do you think babies get out of the belly? Turn the question back on that. Coaching 101. Exactly. Um, so I think that's first. And then the second thing, are you, are you a Dr. Becky fan? Yes. Okay. Yes. I feel like this could go either way. So some, some people love her. Some people are, you know, she can be jarring, but I, I like Dr. Becky a lot and that, you know, she has her, there are two things can, two things can be true. And she talks about this a lot. So, um, you can be angry that you can't be on your iPad anymore, but, but screen time is over. So those two things can be true at the same time. And I think about this with clients all the time, like two things can be true. You can want the promotion And you can be freaking out about what that means about setting boundaries. So let's talk about those two things. So when you go back to how can, how can we simplify or make the world a little bit simpler? I think it's about understanding that we need to get more curious and two things can be true. And those things I think are so relevant for adults, just as they are for kids. So one of my favorite sayings, And one thing, basically, you can't be a client of mine without learning this is replace the word but with and. Whether it's, whether if it's giving feedback, if it's thinking about situations, get rid of the word but and Mm -hmm. replace it with and. And I had someone on my podcast who's a a friend of mine who actually also went to Emory and she is a child psychologist. Mm. And she talked about this on her episode because it's founded in DBT, which is a type of cognitive therapy. Dialect or dialogue. Yeah, where two things can be true at the same time. It's also a very Buddhist philosophy. It's Ooh, a very Eastern okay, here philosophy. we go. Here comes the woo-woo. So it's this really interesting everything comes full circle, right? Mm-hmm. Where it is true. Two things can totally be true at the same time. You can be mad and you can't hit. Mm-hmm. Right, which again, in children's terms, are so simplistic. Yeah, like you said, you could want the promotion, and you could be freaking out about working really mm-hmm. long hours and how are you yeah. going to handle your life, et cetera, yep. et cetera. You can you can despise your cross functional partner, and you still need to work with them to be successful. 
Yes. This is the world. This is. Ugh, I just had a conversation last week with that. You cannot like your boss and need them. Yes. So how do you navigate that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful, isn't it? Just replacing but with and. It really is. Because we talk it, about that in, in feedback, because anything that yes. comes after the, everything that came before the but is just a race. It means nothing. It means right. nothing. It's, so the example I use with clients is, you look great in that outfit, but <laughs> that's like the kiss of death, right? Totally. And when you take it out of a work context, it makes so much sense. But again, we think the things that work are so complicated. They're really not. It's really simple. And it's yes. almost like, how do you take a step back? and bring it to its most simple form. Yeah. I think that's the dichotomy of coaching, which is how can we go deep into the complexities of how people are thinking and how people are feeling, yet keep it simple enough that they can actually then do something about it? How do you qualify that dichotomy? Tell me more about what you mean with the word qualify. (laughs) Such a coach. (laughs) How do you reconcile those two things? I don't know. It's a good question. I, By the I, way, I think you and I could probably have an entire hour conversation of just questioning each other back and forth. Probably. And then everyone <laughs> would be really bored because they would get absolutely nothing except good questions and how yeah, to be curious. Right. right. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's so conscious. I think it yeah. might be, I think it might be something that, when you go through coach training or you get more experience, you just kind of do. But I think part of it is I I try to reflect on conversations that I'm having with clients and then I can come back to things. But one of my philosophies in coaching, in addition to getting clients to reflect is also getting them to take action. So I go into every conversation saying we're going to reflect and we're also going to figure out how to take action. That's just what it means to work with me. So. I I just think that that's really critical. So I think by nature, having those two objectives with coaching clients is probably what helps me get there. Well, and that's in a lot of ways, a very simple framework in and of itself, Mm -hmm. right? Step one, reflect. Step two, do. Done. Yeah. There's a framework, everybody. There you go. It's the Savella Beck framework. (laughs) I love it. We should coin it and put together some sort of two by two matrix. Let's do it. Why not? See? New business ideas on the spot. I want to talk to you about strength. I'm always struck by how few people can answer the question of what they're good at off the cuff. And you took me through a very interesting exercise, which you did reference earlier, which is the Gallup Strengths Finder assessment. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the assessment? And then I want to get into the theory and concepts around strengths? Yes. So tactically, the assessment is is through Gallup, as you mentioned. And I'm I'm certified in a bunch of different assessments, but I I love strengths because it doesn't just put you into a box. So a lot of these like the MBTI or DISC that you have one of four types and you know everyone in the world who has one of those four types is similar. And what I like about strengths is that there's 34 strengths. They fall into four different themes or categories or domains, and everyone's report is somewhat different. I think there's like, I'm 
Gallup will, would probably kill me for not getting this right, but there's like a 1.5 million chance that you'll have the same strengths report as someone else. So I like that because you can actually use the information because it's more uniquely you. So that's a little bit about the assessment. This concept of strengths is so interesting to me because there is a debate. Do you spend time working on what you don't do well? Or do you mm-hmm. spend time leaning into what you do really great? So I know your thoughts on this, but do you mind sharing them? Yeah, I, I have my own philosophical debate with this. And actually, it's interesting because I was a strength skeptic. So I have always been one of those people that's like, we need to focus on how we can get better. Hi, achiever number two. So what do I, how do I need to continue to get better and continue to grow? and why would I focus on my strengths? I need to focus on the things that I need to do differently. And if you think about it, most organizational performance reviews are set up that way. Yeah. Okay, we'll spend like one minute talking about your strengths and then we'll spend 44 minutes talking about all the things that you need to do differently in order to get a promotion. Your opportunities. Yeah, your opportunities. So <laughs> not your weaknesses, just your opportunities. Yes, just, no, they're not weaknesses. They're opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... I grew up with with that mindset and that mentality and the generations before us absolutely did. I mean, it was all yeah. about how can you be better? What do you need to learn? How do you need to grow? So I have a, a good friend and colleague who was running a strength session for a group of leaders. And she said, you know, can you come and support me in this effort? This is, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And I was like, sure, even though I'm not so into this. So I went and I started to get a taste of what strengths can do for you. And I decided to get certified, but I was very skeptical when I went into the certification. But the thing that I learned is that if you focus on your opportunities, you can absolutely (laughs) get better. And we still need to do that. But if you can lean into your strengths to focus on your opportunities, or if you can work on making your strengths even better, then you can really be exceptional. And I've had the chance to put this into practice, both with groups and individuals now. And I really do think it's game changing. It also seems so much more efficient to me. Say more about that. Such a coach. I'm going to say this the entire episode, (laughs) but I love it. I mean it as an endearing comment. What I mean by it is, Things that you're good at, I think you can make an assumption, come more naturally to you, mm-hmm. which means if you're going to use the transitive property, da 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 da, whatever it is, osmosis, that theoretically you can be more efficient by leveraging those strengths. So if I know that I can influence or execute in a specific way, then I'm going to go do that because I'll probably get what I need or what I want faster than going back to the drawing board and spending time refining something or leaning into something that I'm not as good at, which is going to take me time to even get to baseline because I need to build those skills in the first place. (laughs) Yes. Does that make sense? I will use myself as an example. So I'll tell you a story. When I went through the strength certification, I was able to meet with a strength certified coach. It was like part of the program. When I had this conversation, if, if you look at my strengths report, I mentioned there are four domains. Influencing is one of them. I don't have influencing anywhere in my top 10 strengths. So I have no strengths that are part of the influencing domain. 
And the coach said to me, I've never met an entrepreneur, someone who has their own business, who doesn't have any influencing themes in their top 10 strengths. I'm sure and that was, I was very like, reassuring. Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to like go in a corner and give up on my whole life now. So just in full transparency, this is, this is one of my, one of my biggest insecurities is the fact that I am not a natural seller or negotiator. So she said, let's look at your strengths and talk about how you've been successful in your business. And what we realized is that my two domains that I lead with are relationship building and executing. And I was like, actually, this makes so much sense. I love building relationships with people. And all I care about is doing good work. Yeah. And that's what's made me successful as an entrepreneur up until this point. I build good relationships. I do really good work. So people refer me to each other. And that's how my business has so far been built. Does this help me when I need to go out and market myself? Potentially, I can lean more into those strengths. But if I feel like I can't, then I can call upon someone who is really good at marketing and have them help me figure it out. Well, and it highlights the fact that there is no one size fits all solution. And I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that. Everyone is unique, to your point. Everybody has their own sets of strengths, their own sets of opportunities. And at the end of the day, it's doing what resonates with you because that's, at the end of the day, how you're going to be most effective, Mm -hmm. most efficient, and get where you want to be. And so what I really like about that philosophy is the fact that it's so unique to the individual. Mm -hmm. And so for someone like you, totally makes sense to me about how you do really good work and build really good relationships because I happen to know you. And that's also a great way to get more business. Yeah. So it doesn't mean you have to do things a certain way. You don't have to market yourself a certain way. You don't have to promote yourself a certain way. And I also believe that people smell inauthenticity. Yeah. And people smell bullshit a mile away. So if you're going to pretend to be something that you're not, you're going to end up not getting what you want at the end of the day anyways. Right. I think that's true. Going back to this idea of you have to focus on areas of opportunity. Since I work with a lot of first time, very senior leaders, the biggest thing that they need to work on based on performance reviews and feedback is being more strategic. So I put it in mean? Exactly. Right. Because like, it's like people say the first thing they ask me is I don't even know what that means. Um, so first we, we get into what does that even mean? Let's pick it apart. And then I think it makes a lot more sense, but I can't tell people just ignore that feedback and don't worry about being more strategic. You can just ignore that opportunity because you have so many strengths, right? (laughs) This is like a perfect example where you can't just rely on your strengths. Um, you have to be able to work on areas of opportunity, but for a client of mine who needs to quote, be more strategic, maybe one of their strengths is all about being futuristic. So we can lean into that. Okay, part of being more strategic means thinking about a longer term plan, thinking about a vision for your team. So let's lean into your futuristic strength and figure out how we do that. See, I'm happy you clarified that because I didn't hear you saying ignore your weaknesses. Mm. I heard you saying go through your strengths to work on your opportunities. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes total so I'm, sense. So I'm really happy that you clarify that for the listeners because that's a really important distinction. 
Because you can't, you can't ignore feedback. And I think sometimes when we get into focus on your strengths, focus on your strengths. And this is why I was skeptical because I, I, my judgment was that that meant that we just ignored our areas of opportunity. And that's not really the case. It's just figuring out how to work on some of those areas and build skills through the things that you're already good at. It's so interesting, all of this, isn't it? Yes. Because people are really fickle and interesting and deep and confusing. And that's what's fun about it, to me, at least. Yeah. Well, people are complex, you know? We're not simple beings. Even if we are on the outside, that's where peeling back the layers of the onion comes in. I always said that. My favorite people are people who are not what they seem. Mm. Most of the people I'm close to in my life, if you look at them at face value, it's not really who they are. I really, really love complex people. What makes you love it? Like, what do you learn from them? Other than that, you can't judge a book by its cover. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's a reminder that people have depth. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is getting very philosophical, but we live in a very surface world right now where what you put out there, and look, I'm guilty of it. I have to market myself on mm-hmm. LinkedIn and Instagram and all these things that. I'm uncomfortable with, if I'm being honest. We live in a very surface level society in so many ways that Mm -hmm. it's refreshing to me to still be able to make really deep human connection because on some level that is more meaningful or it is meaningful. It brings meaning to life for me. Yes. I think it's such a good point. I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole about social media and thinking about raising kids in this world oh, with social God, media and what that all means. Um, but I think if we go back to how do we how do we connect with people one on one? That's that's really what it's all about. And the more we're on technology, the harder it becomes to connect. And the one hope that I do have for technology is that because it's not going away, so we know that, right? Right. Is that it just helps us make more meaningful connections with people. I love when this happens. It's also a beautiful circle back to what we were talking about in the beginning about simplicity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but in so many of the coaching conversations I have, it comes back to either having a conversation with someone or getting to know someone one-on-one. Yeah. Again, bringing it back to basics. It's so true. The basis of conflict, the basis of miscommunication, so much of it I've found is Mm -hmm. this reliance on technology where you, you miss that meaning or you miss that depth and you miss out on so much of context and communication and all those things that are important as a leader and in an organization because we're social animals in a social construct, even if it's a business. It's very true. And this is going to sound a little bit snoozy, but I think the same is true for process, like fall asleep now. Um, No, don't fall asleep. I love process. So don't Okay, so you love it. So now you're awake and excited. I am. I just had a jolt of caffeine. Talk to me. Um, Well, I have a client and he, he, runs an office. I won't give too much more information because I don't want to be identifying. But one of the things that he and one of the things that he was talking about is exactly is that they are are showing up externally outside of the company 
in a way that shows that they're not communicating well internally. And we were trying to understand, well, why and what is it? And it turns out that it's a process problem. So yes. when we think about keeping it simple, what's the process that you're going through to prepare for these external client meetings? And we put together a one pager and they're using it. And it might sound boring, but they just needed something simple. I call that flexible structure. Of course you do. <laughs> because to your point, people hit the snooze button when they hear the word process. And I yeah. think the word process invokes this idea of bureaucracy and red tape and not being mm -hmm. able to get anything done. And that's not true. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a guideline to keep everybody in the same lane. And it's not to say you have to be prescriptive or you have to do it a certain way or say it a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's at least hurting the sheep. Yes. In the right direction. It's also sometimes just helpful. Like sometimes yes. you've done all you can to build the relationship and you just need a checklist. <laughs> yeah, I love a checklist. I'm not going to lie. I love a checklist. I live my life by checklists. Exactly. I really do. We've been talking for so long already, and I cannot believe how quickly this has gone by. I know. I want to rapid fire a few questions to you. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm ready. What gets you worked up? Do you mean like fired up or excited? You take it however you will. Hmm. What gets me worked up? Um, oh, I just keep going back to my kids these days. It's so boring. But I think... I've been thinking a lot about how to spend more time with them and I want to get worked up when I'm with them in a good way and not in a bad way. So I think that's one of them. That makes a lot of sense. So being present with your kids yeah. and being able to focus fully. Yeah. I want to be excited them. when I'm around them versus thinking about answering emails or, you it's know, so checking things off the to-do list. So it's I want to so get hard. more worked up in a good way with my kids. My three-year-old has started saying, put the phone away. Yeah. Which I'm like, oh God, that's bad. Yeah. And my six-year-old says, mommy, when am I getting a phone? Oh no. Yes. So I'm like, well, of course he wants one because I'm on it all the time. Oh, all right. Next question. Yeah. If there is one piece of advice mm. that you could give to anyone listening to this who maybe is working their way up the corporate ladder or thinking about making a big career change, what do you think it is? My one piece of advice would be, what is the one Thing. And I would have said this before our conversation about simplicity. I have a huge change management background. I worked on large scale org transformation. So change is like very near and dear to my heart. I truly believe that it is small changes that make the biggest impact. So what is the one next step that you can take and take that next step and then go from there? Did you read that book called The One Thing? I did not. It's a great book. Oh, I'll put it on the it's list. By the CEO of Keller Williams, I think. Ooh. I'll send it to you, but it's literally called The One Thing. For everybody listening, we can link it in the show notes. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. Great. And then last question. Yes. And again, take this however you will. Mm -hmm. No clarifying answers from my end. Okay. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? Maybe this is cliche, but that everything will be okay. <laughs> and even in the moments where it's not... Um, you'll emerge stronger and, and be more resilient because of it. We couldn't have set that up more perfectly because that made me think of jumping off the bungee jump ledge. Oh my gosh. The connections you are making. Everything will be fine. Context, right? What, mm -hmm. what my number two context. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's my second strike. Exactly. Uh, no, but truly 
you know, you jump off the ledge and everything will be okay. Yeah. And even if it's not okay, it has to be. You make it okay. You make it okay. It will be. And you'll figure it out and you'll be better. I know a very wise woman who she says, there are no bad decisions because it's your job to make your decision the right one. Wow. Powerful, right? Thought-provoking for sure. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Such a great conversation. I'm, I know that everybody listening is going to benefit so much. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Um, email is good. So it's Sarah with an H at thesavellagroup.com. And you can also check out my website, which is www.thesavellagroup.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for being here. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us on another episode. Check out the upcoming drops that will be happening each Tuesday. And please reach out with any questions or to see how we can help you or your organization. That's www.jacklinbeckconsulting.com. See you next time.